Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 165 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 11th, 2011. Make sure you get your taxes, they're due in a couple of days, but today we got a great show for you this week on the podcast, so put your taxes down just for an hour or so and then you can get right back to them. Um, we're going to have Dan Weber on, he was down at the Coliseum on Saturday, we're going to hear all about the USC scrimmage. We've got a bunch of questions from you. We also have Coach Harvey Hyde, who saw every single play of the scrimmage, and we want to pick his brain, see what he saw down there at the Coliseum. There's some interesting stuff that, that went on, some injuries, some no-shows, a bunch of fun things. Um, if you have any questions or comments, we like to answer them on the air for you. So drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Send us in your question, or if you even want to call us, we can play your voice on the air, 206 888 6755 is the number. That's 206-888-6755. Give us a call. We'll play your question on the air and hopefully answer it satisfactorily for you. So, well, as always, we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment joining us all the way from lovely Catalina. Coach, what's going on? Buddy, it's just beautiful over here. You know, I got I to gotta explain to people. First of all, when I go to practice and people say, see me, they say, Coach, do you live in Catalina? You're always at Catalina. I said, no, I don't live in Catalina. I just like to visit Catalina. So uh, right after the scrimmage uh, on Saturday, I went home and took care of some things, had to do some personal things, and then jumped on a boat on Sunday, came over here when everybody was leaving. I'd come this way. They'd go that way. And I'm over here having a good time talking with you and working on some things as far as from our regular shows. And, of course, working with you, Ryan, is always fun. And uh, talking USC football is also a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, and uh, we got to have some fun this weekend, and we got to hang out a little bit and chat on the sidelines, Coach, which is always good. I like to uh, get your insights on things and uh, just maybe kind of get your overall thoughts of, of how the scrimmage went there on Saturday. Well, you know, uh, the first uh, half, as they call it, I sat by myself on about the 50-yard line, about 30 rows up where I could really watch the scrimmage. And uh, a lot of times I get in conversations and so on with people and and I can't, I miss a play, or I didn't see the play, or something happens and so on. And I say, darn it, I wish I could have uh, seen that play. So I sat up there the first half and observed it and, and watched it. Now, remember, as a head football coach or as someone observing a scrimmage, I'm not cheering for the offense or I'm not cheering for the defense. I'm looking at it as an overall team's performance. I heard people clapping when the offense scored. Uh, and they were excited because they made a big play and so on. Well, yep. If I have an off, if I'm the head coach, I say, "Hey, that was a nice that was a nice pass," and so on. But then I sit there as the head coach and I look in the, and I say, "Now, what happened in the secondary? Why was he open? That's not good." And when uh, FC was uh, scrimmaging, uh, I noticed uh, a lot of breakdowns in the secondary, especially in the red zone at the beginning of the scrimmage when they uh, started with goal line scrimmage. They ran a couple of plays and then play action passed and hit a touchdown pass. And they were nice passes, don't get me wrong. But I become concerned as far as when, certainly I'm happy when you score, but I'm also, as a head football coach, looking at the defensive side of the ball. And I said, and I say to myself, what happened over there? Why was there a breakdown? Why, did, why was he so open? What was his key? We missed his key. So something's always good and then something's always bad. So you look at it as a as a coach, you look at it, great play on offense, poor play on defense, but you don't really want to see touchdowns against your defense, yet you want to score offenses or touchdowns with your offense. So it's a difficult situation. So I would say overall on the uh, scrimmage itself, I thought the short passing game is something that they've been emphasizing. And, you know, you've heard me complain about it. I think you've got to work on your deep passing game, no matter whether you have a a new and experienced offensive line or not, after a while, you know, the defense comes up tight and plays man and, and really makes it tough on you. 
And uh, they did. You know, Barkley completed 22 of 33 passes, but for only 152 yards. Good thing about that, no interceptions. No interceptions. So that's always a positive. And uh, you've got to look at it and you've got to say, well, if you're, if you're going to get better at something you're not very good at, you've got to work at it. Now, I don't know how many new players come in and they're going to be able to play. Of course, Kraft, the big tackle, will be back. The other new players aren't in there yet as far as freshman players and so on. You don't really expect them to start immediately. Maybe they will have some ability to play at the end of the year. But you've got to throw the ball down the field. You've got to get the secondary loosened up, and they haven't really done that. They threw, I don't think, they, oh, they think they threw one pass to tight end, and they threw a stop route once to Flournoy, and he caught it. It was wide open. They didn't throw. They don't throw any deep posts. They don't throw any deep corners. They don't throw to the tight end on drags or or or, or curls or or corners. And I and I and and coach says, you know, the offensive line just isn't experienced enough to do that. Well, then you got to go to some type of maximum protection. You don't have to put everybody out when you're throwing a deep route. Really, that doesn't have much to do with the linebackers and so on. So you block up, you keep your backs in, you do maximum protection, you might even keep your tight end in. And after a while, run a tight end delay. But everybody forgets it. Block your tight end and run him in a delay route over the middle. But I think you've got to work on throwing the ball down the field. Because when you get into a football game, you can't just plan on going 80 yards or 70 yards every series of plays with five yards, four yards, six yards. What, Woods caught the ball 10 times for 65 yards, 6.5 yards of carry. He's got to make some big plays. So I think you've got to work on big plays. To get big plays, you've got to get good at big plays. You've got to build up the confidence of your team to have big plays. I think the short passing game is dangerous because you've got such explosive players. But to make it better, you've got to throw the ball down the field. And I think it makes your secondary better when you throw the ball down the field because when you play teams, they're going to throw the ball down the field on you. Your secondary has to get used to covering those types of passes, not just on seven on seven. I'm talking in game-like situations. That's the only way they're going to be able to cover those routes is to face those routes during game situations. So I think that that's what I saw as far as the – the scrimmage, I would certainly wish they could run the ball a little bit more consistently. There was uh, some great runs by Moore and McNeil, but a lot of them were individual efforts. It wasn't like they were huge holes. They were individual efforts, zone blocking, where they came broke back across the field, and Moore made a nice run for a touchdown and so on. He's going to be an outstanding back. And it was good seeing two quick backs in there. And I think another positive thing on the running game, too, was to see uh, Big Mark Tyler back. I tell you, he is going to be a real specimen. He's got to get turns. He's got to run. He's got to get in shape. He's got to be able to carry the football 20, 25 times a game like Allen did at the end of the year against UCLA. You've got to pound him, pound him, pound him, and eventually you get that big play. And uh, that's what's going to make SC a good football team. Which obviously, you have great skilled players. I like the secondary. I really do like the secondary. But, again, they've got to be able to get experience against not only short routes but deep routes. And the tackling, I think, is a little bit better, too. So uh, let's give a positive on that. So I'm trying to be objective when I talk to you about this. I know the defense will be a lot better when the linebackers are back. Uh, you saw me talk to Gallipo and gave him a big hug and so on. And, by the way, his girlfriend just became song girl. So I had to get, congratulate him on that. And he's eager to get back and play. And he looked good. And he's going to be ready. And he's going to play well. Kennard was there the entire scrimmage, too, watching and getting advice and talking. And pay attention. Paying attention to the scrimmage. See, that's what I look at. Players on the sideline, are they paying attention when they're hurt to what's going on on the field? And they are all doing that. And I'll tell you this, young kid, uh, Kyle Negretti, I really like his punting ability. A lot of people don't know about him or haven't heard about him. I didn't know about him either. But if, Ryan, you've watched in this spring, that kid's got a leg. He's a transfer from the University of San Diego and set out last year. I tell you, that kid is really an outstanding punter. 
So uh, we'll see what happens with the kicking game. Obviously, during the kicking game, John Baxter's got his kickers working continuously. No one is sitting around, which is a positive thing. In fact, when I was at UNLV, I I built a special field just for kickers, a 50-yard field just for kickers so that they would have their own field where they could kick all the time from different hash marks and so on. Because normally, you know, the kickers are guys you just move around. Oh, here comes the offense. They're running a play down here. Get off the field and so on. I wanted them to have a normal field where they could work out all the time with their kicking coach and so on and just get better. So uh, overall-wise, when you go out and hit like that, you're going to see pluses, you're going to see minuses, depending on what side of the football you're coaching on. So as a head coach, I looked at it. I was happy with the scores. I would say we need to work on our deep passing game and run the football a little bit better, and I'd like to see a goal line package. What I mean by that, and this is just me, I always had a goal line package and a team that I can relate to you where you, our listeners out there Stanford had a goal line package. They brought in three tight ends. Their, their linebacker went to fullback. They lined up. They had a complete package with the running game and passing game off of it. And a baby, when they lined up in that, you knew they were coming at you with the off-tackle play, either hook the end or go outside or kick out and run inside, and then play action pass to either tight ends or bootleg off it and so on. I would like to see SC have what you call a short yardage package, a goal line package where you bring, you bring your three big tight ends in or even bring tackles in. Who cares? Put a big dude at the fullback position and just, blow people out for that short yards, and I don't, I don't see that. So that's just my suggestions. That's just what I see. And, of course, I, I think uh, as, as we have two more weeks before the spring game, I think we'll see if they work on that. And also, I know I'm talking a lot, <laughs> I'd like to see them work a little bit on the spread offense against their defense. But it's tough to get ready for that just during the week when you play a Utah or you play a Oregon. You know, sometimes you got to get that stuff all on tape so that kids have a chance to react against that stuff in the spring. So it's not a foreign language to them when you come and play one of those teams the second week of the season or whenever. So maybe they ought to take a week or so on or two or three practices just for the defense's benefit to run a spread against them, the Wildcat and so on, so they get a feel of it. And they just don't go against their defense the entire spring. They see a different type of, of uh, theory. That's it, Ryan. All right. Well, it was a great show, Coach. Thanks. We'll talk to no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do the second half now. Yeah, no. Uh, no, great stuff there. Uh, let's get to some questions, if we can get to. Uh, Steve wanted to know, do you think that it's uh, a bad thing that Matt Barkley is always focused on Robert Woods on most plays? Shouldn't USC try to develop second, third, and fourth options for Matt Barkley, so when Robert Woods is covered, Barkley can throw it to another player. I, exa- I agree with that uh, person. Exa- uh, I really do. I mean, you can't just have one guy. You take the one guy away, and those other receivers are foreign to you. And that's what I basically was talking about. You've got to use your complete passing game, because they're going to be games when they're going to double cover him. In fact, they're going to double cover him all the time. So at least I would, playing against him. And with the, the amount of time they use to tie it in, uh, I'd use a strong safety or whatever side of the field he's on a lot to double cover him because they don't utilize the tight end as much as they should, and I hope they do. But yeah, I think you've got to utilize the other side of the ball. You've got to do your reads across and come work from him across the field. And I tell you, they've got some great receivers at USC. And I mean, I know other teams have great receivers. You've heard me say this, they, but they've they got talent at the receiver position. Great talent. I don't know if there's a team in the country. Now, sure, there are teams in the country. I don't see all the teams in the country. But I don't know if there's a group of receivers that are better than this team. And the tight ends, they're good tight ends. They're really some good tight ends. You just got to get them the football and make them tough so that they're used to running over people after they catch the ball. You know, when you're a tight end, you're supposed to catch the football and punish the secondary. And the only way you can learn to do that is catch the football and run over DBs. So uh, that's just a thought, or put some of these big uh, tight ends in the slot type of position like they're doing and and, uh, just, uh, what do you call it, just outsizing the defensive backs because these tight ends are 6'5", 6'6", and just throw the ball on seam routes and hit them and 
let him run down the field and make those DBs tackle him. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I really think they should spread the ball around a lot more. And, and I'd love to see them run their backs out more routes. I, I'd like to see the backs in passing routes more. Not just short dump routes like they do, but send them down the seam. Uh, they they scored, I think, twice on backs in the flat on Saturday, which was great. But running down the seam and curl them up deeper and so on mainly put a lot of pressure uh, on the secondaries of, of some of the opponents. Um, and the second part to that, Coach, was in reports from practice, it says Barkley's been throwing short passes to Woods, but he's been getting a lot of yards after the catches, defensive tackling. Still an issue, and I'll make a quick comment before you answer, Coach. And we didn't see a lot of that. You mentioned earlier Robert Woods was not, you know, didn't have a whole lot of yards per catch. And I, and I do think from watching practice all this this spring that the defense has been able to come up and make a lot more more tackles than what we've seen in the past. But maybe get your thoughts on that too. Well, I think uh, I think we talked about this before spring practice started. The only way you learn how to play football is play football. You can't walk through drills. You can't illustrate somebody's going to come up and you're going to wrap him up and that's what's going to happen. The only way you learn to tackle is you tackle him in open field. The only way you learn how to break a tackle is have someone trying to tackle you, you run through him or make a move on him and both people get better. This is the time to get better in the spring, not in the fall. Not in the fall when, you know, you might lose a person or it's too late or whatever. You got to do that now. You got to learn how to settle up. You got to know how to drive your legs. You got to know not to chop block somebody down, but tackle them. And receivers have got to learn to get tough now. They've got to learn to get hit now. And and they're not going to kill them. Just going to stun them. They got to get up and they got to deliver the blow rather than take the blow all the time. And you got to emphasize blocking now in the spring with your receivers. You know they're a blocker too. So this is the time of year in the spring where you become a tougher football player, not only as a receiver, but as a defensive lineman, as an offensive lineman. In all areas, this is where you make the football team. And the only way you can do it is you've got to hit, 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 and go against live stuff. Uh, Good stuff there, Coach. Thank you, Steve, for those questions. I wanted to comment on something that was being talked about on the sidelines a little bit, Coach, at the – Closed end of the Coliseum where the tunnel is, but in the in the exact end zone, right in the middle of the end zone, they had a two like big white pieces of cardboard or something up there, marking like the ends of what's supposed to be a new vision board, a new uh, you know replay board up there, and it's it was about as wide as two sections of seats. I mean, it was really big. It's not like you know the the Texas Stadium one or whatever down in, in Dallas, but I mean it was it looked really big, and apparently the word on the 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 sideline was that that's what the plan is. They're going to build a big replay board up there. It's going to be absolutely huge, way bigger than the ones on the uh, peristyle end of the Coliseum. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm Over the next couple of years, Coach, it should be cool to see what happens with this new agreement with the city and everything with USC, how they try to make some improvements to the Coliseum. Well, I agree with that. I think it's really great. I think it sort of punishes the crowd that goes to the game when they don't have a chance to watch the play again. And I hope they're planning on doing that, replaying the play immediately after the play, because people really want to see what really happened. People can't see everything. And on television, you've got so many different cameras, angles, that you can see that. And I think that if you're at the game, I think it'll encourage uh, uh, people to come to the game. But you're sitting there watching the game, and also if you're listening to the game at the same time, a lot of people you see listening to the game and watching the game and getting the, the call from Arborgast and uh, and uh, Paul McDonald of what's going on and who made the tackle and so on. You can look back at the board and hear them describing it. But a lot of times they describe it from their TV that they have in front of them. So I think you need that. I think you need that in any modern stadium. I tell you, the the thing I like about it is not going to be in the middle of the field like it is at the Texas Stadium because I think that board is too distracting. I think it is too big. And I've made this comment, and I've talked to people who have gone to the game, and they've said that. They said they watched the game. They were at the game, but they watched the game on the screen. And if you look at it, you watch the players watching the game, sitting back on the bench, watching the game on the screen. I think there's such a thing as too big of a screen in the middle of the action. I like it at the end of the field rather than over the field. And uh, I think it'll be great for the Coliseum and all the fans to attend USC games because I think they deserve to see the replays and see exactly what happened. 
uh, Coach, cool. Uh, well, I wanted to get a question. It's kind of a question for me, I guess. I did a last Wednesday after we did our uscfootball.com TV broadcast, which we had catch Coach Orgeron on. It was good stuff, Coach. Um, but the Trojan Coaches Club asked me to speak at their dinner. They had a dinner over at Dado Field, and uh, they had some of the, the new coaches speak. Um, they had Frank Cruz from baseball, tennis coach, uh, the new lacrosse coach. So there were some interesting speakers. Then they had me come up and kind of talk about football, just being out at every practice. And, you know, I, I tried to, you know, tell them how it was and what I saw and some of the positives and things that you saw there. It was a, it was a mostly a positive kind of message. And uh, Petros Papadakis came on afterwards. And his was definitely a little bit more kind of doom and gloom. And it was, uh, I, I think, it, it, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, you know his personality and stuff. It's a little bit different. But one of the things he said that I thought was interesting, and I wanted to get your thoughts, and I've definitely heard people met, talk about this as being a positive, is when you're down at practice and you see someone screw up, say a guy runs the wrong route or something, one of the coaches is going to step in there and try to correct them and tell them, hey, this is what you should be doing, not this. And there's, it's kind of like these teachable moments uh, on the practice field. And and Petros was kind of implying that that wasn't really a positive thing. And then a place like Oregon, they just run through practice, run, run, run through the whole thing, not stopping to coach. And then they try to do all that coaching in film rooms and stuff afterwards when they're, they were watching practice back. And maybe kind of get your thoughts on the two different approaches there and kind of what you used to do. Well, you sort of do a combination. First of all, most of the coaching is done in individual group work. Okay. When you're doing uh, your own individual groups, working on different drills and so on, and then also going against, you know, your offensive lineman going against a defensive lineman or, or whatever you you coach it up then pretty good. And you try to get as much as you can on, on tape. Now, when you get into the scrimmage, you only got so much time, for practice and you try to make it like a game situation. You're not going to be in the huddle with the players. So it's best that as you go along with your practices to sort of separate yourself from the players themselves. This is my philosophy from the players themselves and see how they perform on their own, but you're not going to be in the huddle with them during the game and so on. So you either back off or you stand on the sideline or on the hash mark and you do your signals and so on and your substitution and so on, and you run it like a game. And uh, if you have some coaching to do, your coaching you do back when they come off the field or you yell at them when they're running back to the huddle that they did the wrong route or you, you, know, you, you blocked the wrong guy like you would in the game, and you try to get as many reps as you can in during the scrimmage period of time. We would want to get as many plays as we could in during this period because we want to make it game-like conditioning and game-like uh, situations, you know, and, and I think it's important to make it like that. You notice that all the SE practices is they have officials out there that make the calls and so on. Well, you know, you got to keep it moving along. And, and another thing you have to learn, is you can't take too long in making your calls of the plays, both offensively and defensively, or you're not used to that in the fall, and you'll start to get delay of game penalties, and you'll start to get uh, not the right players in there for the right plays or formations or whatever you're planning on doing and so on. So as you move through the spring, you got to pick this up. you got to pick this up. In fact, there are times when I used to practice early in the fall and early in the spring where I wouldn't put any balls out there, we wouldn't run any plays. We would just make sure we had the right formation, the right people, the right speed of tempo, getting out of the huddle, the right coverages going on, the right motion. You're in the right position when the ball is going to be snapped. and oh, That was it. We'd run back in the huddle. Because if you can't line up properly and huddle properly and get out of the huddle properly, on offense and defense, and have the right players in the game for each whatever you called, you don't need a football, but you can't do that right. So as you move along and they pick that up and they did that right, then you'd add the ball to it. And then you'd continue to progress to get better and better at all the things you do. So I think that you, you can't coach all along. You've got to coach in your individual drills, drills and then you've got to coach off the film and the videotape, and you've got to separate yourself from explaining it to everybody in the huddle what's going on, and you've got to put them on their own like it's going to be in a game because you don't know how they're going to act 
during a game unless you see how they act now. And those young players, yeah, it's tough for them. But they got to learn to communicate with the guy next to him and say, hey, what about this, what about that? And when they come to the line of scrimmage, that guy's got to help him until he understands what he's supposed to do. That's the way I feel on that. All right, good stuff. Now one last thing, Coach. We have a question from our friend Kyle. He wants to know about Coach Orgeron, when he, if he would move on at the end of his contract. I believe he has a three-year deal. He's going to be going in the second year of his three-year deal. Do you think he would possibly go back and try to get another head coaching gig? Well, you know, to say someone won't do something, and then you then you, you can't say that. But I'll say he's not, he'll never do that, and you'll read it in the paper tomorrow that he did. You know, coaches uh, are funny. You're always looking at opportunities for yourself. Everybody loves to be a head football coach. There's only so many of them uh, that you can get. Uh, I think he's a, a heck of a, a leader. I think he's got a great personality. Obviously, he had a difficult situation in Mississippi, but but I'm going to tell you the next coach who came in there won off of Ed Orgeron's players. Right now, they're not doing as well because Orgeron's players aren't there. He's a great recruiter. I think that when you get a second chance, you, you always do things a little different. And I think he'd be a great head coach. In fact, uh, yes, I do think that that if he had the opportunity to become a head coach again, I think he'd be an excellent choice. And uh, it would be something that the FC fans would not want to see. But you don't stand in the way of coaches. You You bring coaches, and I used to bring a lot of coaches that I thought had the potential of being head coaches. I wanted them to be on my staff because if we win, they're going to get a head coaching job. And they work harder because they're trying to win to get a head coaching position. If they're not trying to become a head coach, then we don't have the right personnel, the right type of people on our staff. We need people who want to move on. We want want people on our staff that want to better themselves, make more money, and become a head football coach. And the only way you do that is get energetic people that have a future. You don't want to ever have retirees on your staff. You have too many retirees, they're going to retire you in a hurry. So uh, I would think that if Ed Orgeron had the opportunity to become a head football coach at a good university, I think he'd, he'd be a great head coach. I agree with you, man. He's just got that great personality. I think the second time around it would be uh, a whole different deal for him. He can obviously recruit, but obviously, obviously USC fans want to see him stick around. I, I definitely wouldn't want to see him go anywhere, but you don't want to stand in the way of any kind of progress. So, you know, we wish Coach O the best of luck, but he's, like I said, second year of a, a three-year deal, so I think he's going to be around at least for a little while. Uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, we do appreciate you uh, checking in from Catalina and sharing your thoughts on, on the scrimmage down there, and we'll looking forward to see you at more practices, and we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you on Saturday, and uh, this week it's at Jones Field, right? Howard Jones Field. No more uh, Coliseum until the spring game. Right. At least Unless they okay, change it, they, they definitely kind of change things up at the last minute a lot of times. But we just kind of just watch out for the emails and see what happens. They they picked the Coliseum. It was really, I think on Friday is when they they decided they were going to do the, the scrimmage at the Coliseum. So I, I think it was just Lane Kiffin's way of mixing things up a little bit. Yep, he mixed me up a little bit because I went to Jones Field <laughs> first, so it worked. But, uh, hey, uh, let's again thank Southern California Ticket Service because they're the ones that make this happen. For sure. Thank you to Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. This is Ryan Abraham, and we're joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, how's it going? Doing great. Uh, ready for uh, week four, I guess, of spring uh, as we go. Uh, time's flying. Time is certainly flying by. It just seems like 
you know, that we had a scrimmage last weekend and then, you know, the one at the Coliseum over the weekend on Saturday. It just seems like it still seems like the spring game is kind of far away, but we've been through a lot of spring ball already. Yeah, I, I like the uh, five week schedule of three uh, three practices a week and uh, and with the early morning schedule two days a week uh, and you got a day in between each time or two days after the Saturday scrimmage. I think it's working better. I think it's given kids a chance uh, over a five week period. You got chance maybe for somebody to come back and uh, participate who, if you'd have had it, you know, in a, uh, not uh, over five weeks, you might not have been able to get people back like a, Oh, a Wes Horton or a Christian Tupo or whatever. So, you know, I think uh, I think this is working out pretty well, uh, especially for a team that didn't get you know the the bowl practices uh, in December like they normally do. Uh, uh, so I think you have to be pretty pleased, and, and and I like the idea that that they are getting a chance over a five week period to kind of set the tone for uh, how they're going to go through the summer and pick up in August again. So uh, so I think from that standpoint, it's working out pretty well. You know, it gives us a chance to kind of digest what's been going on, you know, besides the early morning start times, which I think everyone's getting used to by now in the third week here. But it does give you some time if you get two or three days or a day or two between each practice, then you can kind of go back and look at the interviews and, and, you know, think about what you saw at those practices. Well, and the other thing I think last year, I know they tried to do a lot of teaching. There was a big emphasis on teaching. I'm not sure that where the uh, the coaches were teaching and where the players were able to learn kind of messed. Uh, and I think what they've done, uh, in, in addition to having a much better idea where everybody is on, where with the players, I think, understand the system, where they've simplified the system so that it can go and be right where the players uh, are and where they have the capability of, of, of executing it. But I think there's a lot more uh, able to be done on the off days where they can reinforce uh, what they're doing and what they're trying to do. And uh, it does seem to be that they're picking things up more quickly. The offense, for example, even with a patchwork offensive line and, and maybe not a lot of depth at, at, in places like wide receivers, seems to uh, all of a sudden, I guess it was about four practices ago, it kicked in for them, and uh, and they've made a lot of progress uh, in the last uh, the last four practices. The kind of thing we didn't see a year ago, uh, and I, I think probably some of that has to do with uh, uh, simplifying it and understanding it and being able to reinforce it on the days off uh, between practices. And uh, I think the uh, the progress you see is a little more measurable, where you can really see it uh, practice to practice. And you can't ask for anything more than that in spring practice. Uh, well, we want to get to what was going on in the spring scrimmage, on or not the spring scrimmage, but a spring scrimmage on Saturday at the Coliseum. It was the first one they did at the Coliseum. But we have some questions to get to, and then we'll kind of ask you some questions also about what happened in the scrimmage. If you do want to write us a question, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com. We got a bunch of emails today. And you can also leave us a voicemail, 206 206- 888-6755 is a number. Just call that number, leave us a voicemail, and then we can play your question on the podcast. And here is one of those voicemail questions. Hey, Ryan. Um, I had a question for Gerard concerning uh, Kyle Prater. Um, he's been injured this whole spring. You know, um, want to know what's the situation with him. You know, he's starting to remind me of Hazleton, you know, wide receiver we had a couple years ago. Too many injuries didn't didn't produce on the field. Um, you know, I'm kind of worried about Prater being the same. And another question about Marquise Ambles. You know, um, he missed uh, practice, and then for another one, he was late. So I wanted to know what's the situation. He might be transferring. Um, thank you very much, and fight on. Okay. Uh, with with regard to uh, Kyle Prater. Uh, I do think he uh, made the right call, and I think the coaches made the right call in red certainty last year. I think with his frame at 6'5", I don't think he had completely uh, grown into being that big a body and getting uh, you know banged around in uh, 
in practice uh, the way he did. The thing about Kyle was he's not afraid of contact. Uh, he's not a basketball player trying to play football. He's a football guy, catches the ball in the crowd, uh, definitely would take a lot of shots, uh, uh, would give them out himself. Uh, maybe just wasn't mature, body not mature enough at that size to be able to really absorb all those without, um, uh, you know, without taking the kind of, uh, you know, kind of licking that he did. Uh, this year, I think it was really uh, one of those absolute freak uh, things. Uh, he, he, he chipped a bone on the outside of his foot. I think they call it a Jones uh, Jones fracture, but uh, not a not a serious thing and not one that doesn't heal well. And uh, what we see him out there, for example, is, uh, you know, he was out catching the ball in his boot. Uh, he's out now catching it. He's walking through patterns, catching the ball every day, having people throw the ball to him. I mean, he's got a great work ethic. I don't think the, uh, I don't think the comparison is, is valid. And I wasn't, you know, negative about uh, Vidal Hazleton either. But, uh, but you know, he hasn't really uh, – uh, played it down yet. He hasn't, uh, you know, had any eligibility uh, in terms of, of games and all that. So I think that would be premature to, to try to come up with uh, uh, kind of a characterization of, of Kyle as, as somebody, uh, you know, you might say, oh, I'm worried about it. And you could just as easily say, I'm, you know, excited about the prospects. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that most people around the program have, have the sense that, uh, that there's an issue there. Uh, as far as, uh, Marquise Ambles, uh, it's uh, it's not been an easy year, but we you know we've seen that before, uh, you know with guys especially to come across the country, uh, you know in their younger you know days, and they uh, if they can fight their way through it, it can be a real a real plus. There's a great opportunity for him. They don't have a lot of numbers. There's going to be a lot of talent in the fall. Very young talent. Uh, it's the kind of opportunity for him that uh, should he choose to go somewhere else, he not only uh, essentially loses this year because he what he played in four games very briefly, caught one pass, he would lose all of next year as well. So it would mean that by his third year of college, he would have essentially caught one pass. Whereas if he stays at USC, he's got a shot, you know, to – to really be a contributor, but, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that, uh, he has to do it the way they, they want him to do it. And that doesn't even mean that, you know, they're always right about things. It, it just means sometimes you just have to say, uh, I'm going to do it your way and, uh, and, and, and suck it up and, uh, and, and make it happen. Uh, they've been, I think, very, uh, you know, very determined disciplinarians, but I think they've also been really willing to give guys that second and third chance. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, they've played it pretty well. I think with, uh, with Dylan Baxter, with uh, Patrick Hall, you know, they have, uh, you know, been on guys uh, and uh, also been willing to say, okay, um, we think you're coming around. And, and we've seen it, you know, with a lot of guys that have really – Made the made the decision uh, that they want to do it the way the coaches want them to do it. So you know this will this will play out obviously in the next few days maybe, but uh, uh, stay tuned I guess. All right. Well, thanks for that question. Yeah, it was really interesting when Lane Kiffin came out and said, uh, "Yeah, Markeith didn't show up this morning." <laughs> And then people asked the question again. He just didn't show up, and and Lane Kiffin was pretty frank. But I was like, "Yep, didn't show up." Yeah, he, he, you know, we hear that, you know, he, he didn't, uh, somehow there was a, a late, uh, he was late for, uh, um, a weightlifting session earlier in the week, wasn't allowed to practice Thursday, was doing running instead. I know he wasn't very happy about it. He didn't seem very happy about it. Uh, and I know there have been situations where guys say, hey, you know, this was the story or I really wasn't, you know, late or whatever, whatever. And sometimes there's not always a complete meeting of the mind there. And, and you kind of have to go with, uh, with the decision as it's made. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult, uh, for some of the, you know, guys to, you know, tell themselves that things are going to work out for them and, and that they just have to hang in there. 
and uh, and it's not easy, and and especially if you're a young younger guy from across the country, and uh, uh, you know you really feel like uh, maybe uh, you know am I going to get my shot or am I not going to get my shot and what have you. So uh, uh, those things play out differently for different kids, and uh, or in different years, you might see a sophomore handle it one way. Uh, I would guess a good example for me is uh, is uh, uh, John Martinez, who I think has just had a terrific year after maybe not having a really good fall and then making a decision over the winter that he was going to you know, be the best he could possibly be, and, and he has really picked it up, his, you know, with the weightlifting and the uh, ability to uh, step in and, and, and play center and all of that, and, and, and just to prepare himself for what looks like uh, a starting role as the left guard next to Matt Khalil next year. Uh, and that didn't have to happen. That was John's decision as to, I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to go with uh, what the coaches want me to, want me to do. And I may not agree with everything, and it might not all be exactly the way, uh, you know, perfectly uh, handled and, uh, you know, back and forth. There may be, you know, some misunderstandings or whatever, but I'm going to make it happen for myself and do the best I possibly can, which he has. And uh, that's kind of a model, I think. Uh, but he's a sophomore. He's a second-year, you know, guy as opposed to a first-year guy. So, uh We'll uh, we'll see how it plays out for Marquise. Uh, you know he's a very very likable, talented, uh, you know kid that I think really will add something to USC if he stays, and I think it'll be good for you know for Marquise if he stays, you know better than 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 the alternative, which is sitting out you know a whole ex you know another year. That can't be good, I wouldn't think, uh, for him in this situation. Certainly not, Dad. Well, thanks for that. Um, next question is from George. He gives me a big hello from Washington, D.C. and says he seems to recall Abe Markowitz being injured at the beginning of last season. Did he re-injure or is he still recovering from fall of last year? That's Abe Markowitz. Well, it was uh, uh, pretty much a, uh, a re-injury slash low healing situation of that same fractured, uh, you know, fifth metatarsal. Uh, I actually talked to Abe about, you know, the fact that he's a really, uh, really good shot putter and possibly even uh, uh, the caliber who could represent Samoa uh, in the uh, uh, London Olympics in the shot put, although he's not, you know, hasn't been shot putting in the last year. Uh, but he did shot put at USC, and I'd always wondered if it uh, it was that extra pressure that he put off his uh, his push off foot that made made his uh, his foot a little bit more susceptible to where the uh, uh, to where the fracture occurred. But it occurred that last week before the opening game in in Hawaii. I think they were pretty comfortable in the middle of the winter that it was that it was doing okay. But then toward the end of winter, you know, workouts, it uh, it was obvious. They it, finally they think that it wasn't healing as fast as it should heal, and uh, so they needed to do a little more surgery. Unfortunately, that decision wasn't made till almost the end of uh, winter workouts, and was going to knock him out of probably four weeks. Whether that means he's got time to come back even uh, for a week, uh, I know he's gone from. Uh, from the boot to not wearing the boot to back in the boot. So, uh, you know, when you've got these guys that are 300 pounds and very, you know, kind of compact, uh, which which Abe is, although he probably listed it nearly 6'3", but he, he, he just is a very compact, uh, uh, you know, strong athlete. Uh, I, I think they put an incredible amount of pressure on those feet. And... Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure if you know there are things that USC has to think about with the shoes. I know they've done a really good job. But if you look at the two places you know they're playing in terms of uh, Howard Jones Field and and now the Coliseum, they've got the best turf we've ever seen in both of those places. So hopefully, if any of the issues were uh, you know the turf was too hard or, or too uneven or whatever, those seem to have been been cured. Whether uh, uh, you know, some of the guys I know, you know, are talking about 
the kinds of shoes that they're wearing, and I think they're paying a little more attention, you know, to the the fit and the uh, and and the particular whether uh, you know whether they have the molded sole or whatever in, in terms of the shoe. They're 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 spending more time thinking about those issues, but. Uh, with these big athletes, as big and strong as they are, a guy like Kyle Prater at 6'5 and jumps, you know, as they would say if he were a basketball player, jumps out of the gym, or uh, a guy like uh, Abe Markowitz, they really do put tremendous pressure on their feet, probably in ways in which uh, in the old days you didn't see it as much. And, 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 and their feet, you know, I guess that's probably about the fourth in the, in the last three years, maybe the fourth uh, fractured foot we've had. So, uh, uh, you know, we just have to hope, you know, they think they've figured it out. They think this surgery, which wasn't major, uh, will have Abe ready to go in the summer. He'll be able to, you know, work all summer and, uh, and, and really be, uh, you know, in line for, uh, if not a starting, starting job, because there's still the decision to be made on center, you know, is Khalid Holmes, is that the position for him or, uh, you know, Martinez, does he stay there? Or Markowitz, who was the backup all last year, uh, or was going to be and, and sort of filled that role, uh, does he fit in there or does he move to guard? Uh, he's kind of an unknown quantity ter- in terms of, say, game action, but there are, you know, people who think he really can contribute next year. So uh, healing that foot's going to be uh, uh, really important. Um, the next question is from Santiago Alonso. Or Santiago Alonso, I don't know how you say it, but that's it's a very cool sounding name. Um, yeah. His question pertains to the recent visitors that have been coming to practice, like Mark Sanchez, uh, Lawrence Jackson, Alex Holmes. Is this a good sign that the appeal has come in? Seems positive. So there have been some guys coming to practice, and I guess it was was it Thursday when the, all three of those guys ended up showing right. up, which we haven't seen a lot of former players coming to practice before. Well, I think it's a good sign in that a that you know the the former players are coming back and that the you know the the program is involving them again. I think some of the decisions about the exact implementation of the uh, of the NCA ridiculous without foundation beyond belief stupid however you want to characterize them uh, mean spirited sanctions that uh, boosters and uh, alumni and, you know, all those kind of people couldn't come to practice uh, after having not a single, you know, determination in the uh, NCA uh, infractions report that there was any problem with any of those areas or any of those people. It was just a gratuitous slap in the face uh, by uh, uh, an infractions committee, you know, run amok uh, and and should not have ever been uh, uh, a penalty for USC. Uh, that it might have been the compliance department, the newly formed compliance department at USC, overly being overly cautious and careful uh, about who could come into practice. Uh, and some of the issues when players would come to practice were they hadn't been cleared. They hadn't told anyone they were coming. Uh, and that was always the issue, that if they got preclearance, uh, then, uh, then they could come, but if they didn't, and, and so a lot of times it was uh, a Ray Maluga just dropped by and was going to walk into practice, but hadn't been on the, been put on the list. Uh, you know, maybe hadn't known he was going to come by. Uh, so that's part of it. I think the other part of it is there is a sense that once the first year is over, the sanctions uh, appeal is in, all of that kind of thing. Uh, there will be a recalibration by compliance as to what exactly are the rules about people coming to practice. Um, I think the other area that people don't consider is if a person has been a booster, if they belong to a booster club officially, if they've given money to the athletic program, if they've donated a scholarship, uh, which some of our people have, uh, then it's harder uh, uh, the way the NCA worded the sanctions, it's harder to get those people into practice, if not impossible. With some of these new, uh, newly you know graduated guys and young guys, and that they aren't uh, haven't you know donated uh, uh, any you know to the program, haven't donated scholarships, haven't uh, you know put their money there yet, 
haven't joined the booster club. So essentially they can come in as themselves and they don't have to justify it in the same way they would if someone has been an official booster of USC. Because the, the sanction was written more against boosters, not allowing them to, you know, travel on the plane and all of that kind of thing, uh, travel, you know, with the team to away games and what have you. So I think it's a good sign, but I don't know. It might be overstating it to say that it, 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 it would definitely, I think, be overstating it to say that they've gotten the, you know, the, the appeal back. Uh, uh, not that that will happen here uh, fairly soon. I think it, we're to that point where, where it's, uh, it's fairly imminent. I don't think the NCAA can hold it off much longer. But, uh, but I don't think it's a reflection of that. I think it's, it's a reflection of those other things. Uh, and, and compliance has done a you know, pretty good job, pretty defensible job in terms of anything the NCAA would ever say in terms of how they've uh, monitored who comes to practice, the comings and goings at practice. So uh, I just think they're feeling more comfortable about who they can uh, clear into practice. Uh, and I think USC is doing – the, the, the team is doing a better job you know, like inviting Mark Sanchez to come and talk to the team as he did on Thursday about all his, you know, NFL uh, and what you, what you, how you tie in what happened with him at USC and uh, and his uh, future success in the NFL. So uh, I think that's more the case than than that they've gotten any kind of uh, advance uh, tip from the NCAA that they can kind of ease up. Uh, well, we mentioned Lawrence Jackson there. He's actually going to be our guest on Wednesday. We do our uscfootball.com TV show. You can see the latest episode up on peristylepodcast.com. We always put it up there. But last week, maybe our probably our best guest. I mean, he was the most fun. Uh, ever. We've had a lot of great guests, but Ed Orgeron was our guest. He was awesome on there. And just it was a lot of fun to have him on the set and talking about recruiting and the team and just his no-nonsense attitude was great. But we're going to have Lawrence Jackson, former number one NFL draft pick first round NFL draft pick uh, for the Seahawks played defensive end and went to four BCS bowl games as a as a Trojan so he's going to be on our show on Wednesday so you can check that out on our Ustream page we'll put it up on uscfootball.com and we always put the replay up on peristylepodcast.com so it should be a lot of fun Dan well and, and the other thing about Lawrence Jackson as he was talking the other day very often you end up not talking as much about football and now he's uh, Detroit Lion, uh, but uh, talking about the things he's doing with uh, with uh, area high school kids and uh, how he's trying to make them aware of you know all the opportunities that they've got and all the uh, you know uh, things outside of sports and educationally and, and and developmentally and all of the kind of things that he's always been thinking about and trying to do and uh, I'm sure you guys you know you'll really explore that with with Lawrence but. Uh, it's really he's just a just a sweetheart. I mean, a wonderful guy in terms of trying to do the right thing and for for kids and you know making them aware of you know all the good things that happened to him and with education and and uh, working hard and he's just got a wonderful message and he's got a program uh, you know that he really is uh, you know involved with that. Uh, that you know, you, you really want to listen to Lawrence and talk about uh, you know talk about things besides football. He's just a great, great kid and a great representative of USC, and the kind of representative you wish Paul D would have gotten to meet at one time or another. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just it's the kind of thing that you know at times you just want to scream uh, at the mischaracterization of. Uh, what was going on with that USC with the USC program over these you know recent recent years um, that someone hasn't bothered to tell the NCAA about? But uh, great kid, he'll be a great guest. Yeah, so check it out on Wednesday, uscfootball.com. Put it, we'll put it up on the front page. About 5 p.m. West Coast time is when we go live. If you want to watch it live, you can ask questions or you can watch the replay. And we always put the replay up on peristylepodcast.com. So when you get the show, you can check that out as well. Um, Dan, well, we wanted to get to the scrimmage, too, before we run out of time here. And uh, maybe some of the, the big headlines, I guess, coming from the scrimmage that, that you saw that you, that kind of stood out to you. Well, what I also liked was there was a little more emphasis on 
a real inter-squad scrimmage than I think we'd been led to believe. Uh, and, and that might have been a good thing. Uh, uh, I thought they did a really good job in uh, what they wanted to do, which really was the short passing game, the possession passing game, uh, running the ball inside. Uh, they put in the um, the uh, three tight end offense, which, uh, you know, to a lot of places, you know, just putting in a two tight end offense is special. Well, they're running a three tight end offense because they've got, you know, that the personnel situation and they've got guys that are, you know, interchangeable and uh, uh, they're lining up the tight ends, you know, at all the different receiving positions and what have you and trying to create mismatches. And I thought they handled that really well. I think uh, I really liked the way, uh, uh, even with, again, the patchwork offensive line, I thought they were getting the ball out quickly. I thought they were getting it to the right place. Obviously, they've got you know this whole, the the Robert Woods uh, connection from Matt is is really special. But I thought Brandon Carswell caught you know five balls and uh, he just has been as solid as you could hope for. You know, and he's a senior and he's uh, he's you know big receiver and he's uh, you know can run, can block. Uh, I think the uh, you know that gives them you know a second guy right now without even without the uh, uh, Prater. Uh, I thought uh, you know DJ Morgan runs really hard, uh, and he will uh, you know not at all back off taking it inside. I think if you look at all the running backs, they're running inside more and then making the cut outside. And it's it's just you know it's not a case of where they're you know trying to beat somebody to the corner or whatever, but they they really are you know convinced we want to run it up inside, and then we'll beat beat you to the corner, and then we'll beat you downfield, uh, you know with that next cut. But that's the thing they're working with you know Dylan Baxter on, running through tackles, running through that first contact, then make your move, and uh, and you see it you know you saw it again and again with uh, Curtis McNeil. Uh, Mark Tyler, you know, got the ball a couple of times, uh, ran it up inside as well. Uh, he's still not to the point where they're going to give him a lot of carries, but uh, uh, but I like the idea that they have just they're convinced, even with this offensive line, they have to work on running the ball inside and running it at you and uh, being able. I like that because. You can depend on that. If you can do that, that's not the kind of thing that comes and goes or one game like you're afraid to include that in the game plan. I mean, it's more of what you saw in the Arizona game, for example, where they truly decided, sure, they've got a good defense, a top-10 defense at the time in the country, and we still think we can run the ball and run it right at them. And they did, and they didn't pretty much in that game, didn't let Arizona end the game, because they hit USC had the ball most of the game, and uh, I think that model, with uh, the ability then to throw the ball deep off play action, once they get all their receivers back and once they get their offensive line back, uh, I think will be kind of the way way they put it together. But I I kind of like the way they're putting it together now, with the pieces that they can do. Uh, they're doing pretty well. I thought Matt uh, Barkley, as as Lane said had a really good day Saturday and uh, uh, you're looking for that kind of year from Matt where he's a junior now and he doesn't force the ball and he's very confident in what he's doing and his receivers are confident and he can go through all his reads and yet still know where the heck Robert Woods is and know if he's getting one-on-one coverage and have the confidence that uh, if Robert's got you know one-on-one coverage we ought to be able to get the ball to him. Uh, so um, I was pretty I was pretty encouraged actually I thought uh, I thought we saw a lot of good things uh, um, Saturday and I think we for the first time you realized that the defense with without Tony Burnett without uh, all three linebackers with the most experience uh, and the start only ones who who were back that started last year. And without a couple of uh, first-line defensive linemen, uh, that the offense, even with again, we, we, with that offensive line that may be missing three or so guys that that will start next year, uh, that the offense took advantage of that. And you need the offense to be able to take advantage of 
a defense that, that maybe doesn't have all its pieces in place. And uh, uh, I, I think we saw that. All right, Dan. Well, hey, great stuff. We really appreciate it. It was fun to see out there at the scrimmage on Saturday. And then uh, we're looking forward to another week of practice. We'll see what goes on the last couple of weeks. And we ended up with the spring game at the Coliseum uh, on the April 23rd that fans could actually come out and see. So should be a fun couple of weeks as we head to the end of spring ball. Well, to be, uh, I think it's going to be a very uh, news-worthy uh, and uh, news-packed uh, next uh, week or ten days or two weeks, uh, uh, and not just uh, and not just football. No, not be... just practice. <laughs> so stay that... tuned. But I do think uh, I think this is if you care about USC and USC football, this might be a time to uh, pay attention because. There may be uh, there may be things happening. Sweet. All right, Dan. Well, yeah, we'll be looking forward to it. We'll we'll check out your reports on uscfootball.com and of course here on the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks everyone out there for tuning in. Thank you, Dan, and thanks to all our listeners out there. We'll be back with the Peristyle Podcast next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.